Amen. Well, the first place I'll invite you to is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. I really like to stay in one place throughout a message, but it seems like if I look back on some messages I've preached, some of my favorite ones have, have been topical and have come from all over the place. Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about the steps of a great servant, not in general, specifically we're going to look at the Apostle Paul tonight. There's no better person to preach about or for us to share than Jesus. Yet throughout God's Word, He has, he has people in His Word and it's for a reason and He wants us to share and to be able to learn from them. Paul was a great servant. The Apostle Paul is an extraordinary example as a Christian. When we think about his life, we think about a life in the will of God. We think about someone who was faithful. So therefore, in that life, and the experiences that he had, you're going to find those experiences within a faithful Christian life, a life of a child of God in the will of God. And there's some things we're going to focus on tonight. We're going to focus on the hard things. And when I say hard things, I'm, I'm talking about things that make a Christian want to be weary, make a Christian tempted to faint, to fall to the wayside. It breaks my heart. It breaks Christians' hearts to think about those who have gone through experiences in life and they have walked away from serving the Lord. But with the Apostle Paul, he was such a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was obviously saved by the Lord. He was called by the Lord to a special calling. He was a special messenger for the Lord. We know a lot about Paul in the Word of God. And that tells me that God wanted us to know it because Paul never gave credit to self. Paul always gave all of the credit to the Lord. The glory all went to God. Paul never made it about himself. It was never I with Paul. It was Christ with Paul. The Lord Jesus Christ showed himself through Paul's life, what he can do with a surrendered life. The Lord took over the mind and the heart of Paul and used him for the things that he did. Therefore, he gives Christ the glory for the spiritual work that he was a part of. To kind of sum up that attitude of Paul and that selflessness of Paul and everything being about Christ, I think about what he said to the churches of Galatia in chapter 2, and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And God used Paul. The power of the Holy Spirit worked through Paul to do great things in ministry. You think of some short times through missionary journeys and the gospel being preached and souls being saved, churches being established. You think about what Paul did from Antioch to Rome and how God used him in such a short time, we might say, to do what he did with him. You know, and and summing up Paul from the word of God and everything we have about him, he might say to us today that the Lord used his poor, faltering efforts and blessed them in spite of him. And God was pleased. God made Paul a busy man for him. He'll do that with any Christian. The ability that a Christian needs is availability to the Lord. And he will make us a very busy Christian for his glory. You know, this should inspire children of God today, to have, to have confidence that we can live lives pleasing to God, that we can be used by God for the saving of other souls. And, and what a great model Paul is for us to reflect on and consider that, that we wouldn't faint that we wouldn't fall to the wayside during the things that come along with a life in the will of God. You know, I I don't know what prosperity preachers do with Paul's life. Paul had one of the most blessed lives anyone could have, yet he suffered such great things to do the things that he did for the Lord. So Paul had Christian life experiences and in the will of God. And if we're going to live our lives in the will of God, it is going to be revealed to you and I the things that can happen to a Christian in God's will. And may we not be puzzled and shaken over it. May we not give in to fainting or growing weary when these things happen. But first, let's talk about his salvation. Paul was converted by the Savior, and we read of this in Acts chapter 9. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who... He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul, and he was deceived. He was blinded. He was a religious man, but he was in a false religion. He believed in his religion that he should do harm to Christians to persecute them even to the point of putting them to death. He was thought of very highly by the, by the world. We see his uh, portfolio, if you will. We, we see his reputation and, and his background. In Philippians 3, 5, it says he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That is a high standard to the world. The world looked highly upon someone of this religious nature. And, and there he was on his way to persecute Christians. And he's on the road to Damascus. And we have the record of his conversion when he met Jesus and he was saved. What, and what we find here that we just read, you find in that where he was convicted of his sin. Jesus told him about his sin and he was convicted of it. He had it made very clear by the Lord that it was personal to the Savior what he was doing to Jesus' church. And so he was convicted, but not only do we understand that he was convicted, but he was also converted. And you notice how quickly he called Jesus Lord. That'll really change some people's teaching on, well, I'm just going to say it, this lordship teaching in, in the wrong way. When we think about Paul being convicted of his sin and calling him Lord, there are many professing Christians out there who are hung up on an extreme teaching and an easy believism witnessing. And I tell you what, they can round up the numbers with easy believism witnessing. But these people, these teachers need to go back to Paul's salvation and look at it again and see where he was convicted of his sin and he made acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have a new boss when we get saved. And Paul is already led by a spiritual compass, if you will, just as soon as he's saved. He's already looking for direction. He is immediately seeking direction from Jesus Christ. Uh, a radical conversion. I, I like that phrase. 
because the Lord is in the transformation business and He changes a life on a dime. Don't get me wrong, we never stop growing throughout our Christian lives and, and we can grow as fast as we want. There's, there are some who grow slower and they don't have to and there's some that grow faster. You know, and as we reflect on Paul's salvation, we may not have been blind for three days, but he wasn't saved with any greater power than the power it takes to save us. He was not given more grace than we were. Jesus saves by His mighty power and He changes a life. And He makes us want to confess it before God's people. Thank God for His miraculous power to save and to consider Paul and his salvation. And there wasn't anything more special spiritually and positionally or conditionally about his salvation than anyone else's. Some people just try to step into a religious life without coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it takes conversion to become a Christian. Paul was converted, but now let's, let's move forward in Paul's life. And in Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at a crisis in his sanctification. Over in Romans chapter 7, I'm not going to read all of this, but we're going to look at some of it, and we find a very special chapter here. We find, we find Paul having a struggle with the Christian life. Happens to a lot of Christians. We get saved, we are a new creature, and the Lord starts changing us, but there's still something hanging on to us that tries to desire the things of the flesh, that tries to desire the things of the world. And people stay quiet about it and, 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 and want to do good and try to do good, want to do the things of the Lord, and all of a sudden they find themselves leaning toward those, those natural things of the flesh. And it causes a miserable situation. We learn about this with Paul in Romans chapter 7. He first starts out talking about the law. You know, the law was never meant to save anybody. No one can keep the law. The law is God's perfect standard. You might call the law God in written form. It's God's characteristics. It's God's standard. It's God's law. And we can't keep it. There's, there's all fall short. If we, it, James says if we, if we fall short in one place, we're guilty of all. There's no way. The Bible lets us know all the way through. It's clear that we cannot keep His law. It was never meant to save. When Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, he said the law is a schoolmaster. In other words, the law shows us our need for Christ. 
The law shows us our sin, shows us that we fall short of the glory of God. It shows us that we need a Savior. So it's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. We cannot be saved by the law. The law does not set us apart. We cannot say that a crisis in our sanctification is because of the law. It's because of sin. When the crisis comes in, it's because of sin. Though a person is saved from sin, that doesn't mean that we're not susceptible to sin. We're going to be in this old flesh until we go to be with the Lord. And there is a weakness that remains within us. And the natural desires, they are always trying to rise up within us. So here's a crisis that Paul was in, and I am going to go over and read Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. And this is Paul's situation as he describes, as a child of God, he says, for that which I do... I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Paul found himself confused. He found himself unable to live, to have a behavior to be able to act in such a way as a Christian should. And he wasn't enjoying this contrary behavior. Some people say that, that if you believe that you're secure in your salvation, you just sin all you want. Well, I've heard many people say, no, we sin more than we want. We hate the fact that we're a sinner. And... So Paul is not pleased, he's not having any enjoyment with a conduct that is contrary to the Christian life, to what he desires to do. It made him miserable. And he goes on to say that it's the sin that dwelleth in him. It's it's clinging and hanging on to us, the vestiges of that old sin nature, when that divine nature came to live within, it's still hanging on. Galatians talks about the fact that we're in a battle. How could we be in a battle if those two weren't both there and present? They are, and Paul speaks of a miserable situation. Sin is dwelling in Paul's flesh, and it dwells in our flesh as well. Romans 7 and 18 says, Paul says, As a child of God, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Remember how we started? It wasn't about I with Paul. It was about Christ. And it's good if we know what is naturally residing in us, and the temptations and the desires of the flesh. And he states that he was failing to live as he should, just as many Christians also fail today. 
Many go through that season of failure before we find the, the success. And so Paul, what makes Paul's explanation of his crisis so important here is that we all have the same exact crisis that we go through. And Paul is looking for a way out. As you read Romans chapter 7, and it starts to unfold, Paul is miserable in this. He doesn't want to have his life like this. He wants a way out of it. And his way out of it is our way out of it. There's not many ways, there's not someone who is, is so confident and so strong in the flesh that they can resist sin. It can't be done on our own. Paul's way out of it is our way out of it. And what Paul is finding out is that it has to do with the power supply for the life. And it's not within us, within our power supply to be able to live the Christian life. We can't do it. We fall short of it. We find in the end of this chapter that it is not our ability. Romans 7 again and verse 24, Paul says this, After he has said, that that which I'm doing, I don't want to do it. And that that I do want to do, I'm not doing it. And so he says, how does he feel about that? How does he feel about the sin that he's committing? He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That phrase, body of this death, is Paul saying and confessing that this is a miserable condition that I am in. And it's telling of our inability to live a supernatural life by natural means. It just can't happen. It's never going to happen for anybody. It can be faked for a while, but we can't live a supernatural life by our natural means. Self-confidence, self-esteem, self-help, it doesn't do it. You can, you can look that up and you can find all of this stuff that will make you feel good for just a second about our self-effort, but it's actually a recipe for disaster. And it puts someone in a miserable state. The body of this death. Paul is saying he's in a crisis. He's saved and what he wants to do is not live in sin, but that's what he's finding himself doing. And the answer for Paul and us is a new power supply. Paul had to learn that it's not in his own ability. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? A supernatural life takes a supernatural power supply. Paul was looking for success here. How did Paul find it? Well, in the last verse of Romans 7, verse 25, Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's not just a general gratitude expression from Paul. That is specific 
of the power supply that he has found to be able to successfully live a Christian life. Paul found a way out of being dominated by sin. He learned to depend on Jesus instead of himself. What a beautiful art that is developed through our lives. What a beautiful spiritual art that's developed through our lives that we quit depending on self. That's what we naturally do. Proverbs says every man will proclaim his own goodness. It's hard to deflate the tires of the human being, but they must be, and we must look to Jesus, and it must be a life of dependence upon Him to be able to live the Christian life. That is where we find success. We are not saved from the presence of sin yet. We shall be when we get to heaven. But we are being saved from the power of sin when we depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Him that we find the victory. It's in Him that we find ourselves being able to match up with the identity of being a Christian by the way we live and the actions that we have. Paul found a way out and it is our way out as well. Sin is always present as long as we're on this earth in the flesh. But we are being saved by depending on Christ in us the hope of glory. It is steadily giving us success over the attraction to sin, over the action of sin. So Paul explains his crisis in his sanctification. Does that hit home anywhere? Anyone familiar with that? I am. It's exactly what we find it to be. Most Christians, probably all, try to live the Christian life in their own ability and then have to see that we can't and our dependence grows in Christ and we look to Christ more. So we find His crisis in His sanctification. But in Acts chapter 15, we find that Paul is criticized in his service to the Lord. Paul is surrendered to the Lord. He's sharing the gospel. He's sent out by the authority of the church. He's serving with other men of God. And he's criticized by others. Paul and the men with him, they were obeying the truth. They were preaching the truth. And yet, challenge came upon them for what they were doing and, and a splitting hairs of something that had already been handled in the past starts rising up. You know, there are Pharisees who said they believe, but there are many false professions. There are many who do not believe. There are many within the membership of churches who do not believe. Paul was scriptural in his service. And he was serving the Lord. 
and the challenge that came against him was unscriptural. We're not going to, to hash it all out. We're, we're trying to focus on one point that Paul was criticized in his service. You understand, a man of God in the will of God serving the Lord, he was challenged. He had critical challenges obviously taking place in his life while he did God's will. It, it happens by false converts in the church. And there may be those who are truly saved, but not grounded. And those false converts will, will draw them right into all of the hoopla against Paul. False converts sitting in the pews sometimes. You know, this... This sounds kind of negative tonight. I mean, what, what do we do with this? What do we gain from these things? I almost titled the message that, that, that the cause is, is worth the criticism, the conflict that comes against us. There are many things that try to set a Christian down, set a Christian to the sidelines, not playing on God's first string team. And Paul is a great example of continuing on. It's about the reality that there is always going to be opposition come against us when we serve the Lord. There's always going to be opposite. We are in a warfare. Whether it's something that, that you can see that manifests itself in a certain way or something you can't see, there's always opposition when we set out to serve the Lord. It was that way for Paul's life. And the great example of Paul is we have the record of this reality and his resolve to press forward and to continue on was not deterred. Paul was not hindered by the criticism that came against him while he served the Lord. He was led of the Spirit. He was sent out by the church. He knew what he believed. We can know by Paul's walk that we don't have to call it quits whenever opposition comes our way. It's going to happen. The burden that, that comes to our heart and mind is that it has happened. It has happened for many, and they have been set aside. But Paul didn't call it quits. When he was called out, when he was criticized, when he was challenged. Time doesn't allow us to really expound on 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But what happens here is... Paul had told the church at Corinth, I'm coming to see you again. And there were those Judaizers, there were those uh, false professors, and, and they said, basically, Paul's like a Philadelphia lawyer. Don't trust him. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. He said he's going to come see you. He's not here with you. And, 
and people started turning against him in his faithfulness and, and what he tells them in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 15. He says, And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded... Did I use lightness? God gave him the liberty to defend himself. He says, or, or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. For not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, by, for by faith, Ye stand. It's wonderful in the will of God when you have God to have your back. And God had Paul's back. No matter what criticism had come against him here. But so there's so there's criticism in his service, this man of God in the will of God. But we might also consider also back in Acts 15 the conflict with fellow servants, and, and you're all probably very familiar with this, but this is speaking of Paul and Barnabas, when the contention got so thick between them, when it was time to go out on missionary journey, and, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul didn't want to take him because he had abandoned them before in their missionary work. And, and so let me go ahead and read it. It says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them to Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So we have conflict with fellow servants here. But what we find is that they didn't throw in the towel. 
They didn't quit over the conflict that they experienced. Both moved forward in different directions, and the Lord blessed their work in spite of them. And the work of God continued on. The cause is always greater than the conflict. Can we remember that? When the hard things come about in the work of God, that the cause is greater than the conflict. I guess if you look to the conflict, you'll weaken and you'll fall away. But if we look to the cause, the cause is worth some scars. It's worth whatever we go through for the Lord. We can expect conflict and we are to excel in the cause just as Paul did. He's our great example we're looking at tonight. But now let's look at contending through suffering. And again, a familiar verse to you all is 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 12 and verses 7 through 9 where we learn of the thorn in the flesh that was given to Paul. And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Contending, Through suffering. You know, suffering comes to the child of God for many different reasons. Maybe a lot of Christians think about, it must be something I've done. It must be some sin in my life. For a lot of Christians, critically looking to others, that's that's their quick go-to. What have they done wrong? It had to be something that you did. The Bible teaches us otherwise. As in, it could be that, or it could be many things we find in the Word of God. When we look at the Word of God and we learn of the suffering that Christians go through, it's for several reasons. It's for what you might call the opposite of sin. It's for the glory of God that suffering has taken place many times. So when we learn by the Word of God all of these different reasons that suffering takes place, we lose our, grow, our go-to in critical thinking of, of others or in depressed thinking of self as to why this happens. We lose our opinions and we lose our assumptions. In Paul's case, he had been given great revelation. He had had received revelations from God. He had been shown spiritual things to the point that he needed to have conceit kept under control to keep pride from rising in his life. So 
Paul entered into some suffering for that reason. That he would continue to be useful and it wouldn't become about him. He wouldn't become an I person, but he would continue to be a Christ person. And so he was given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. I used to love to speculate the things we don't know. There's too much for us to know and to meditate on, to, to speculate on things that we don't know. Some people consume themselves with, with trying to figure out what we don't know. How about what we can clearly know? And what we clearly have here is that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And he asked the Lord to take it away. You and I would too. And the Lord didn't take away anything, but He gave him something. He gave him grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. And so Paul learned to walk in grace. And he learned to serve the Lord without being hindered and held back by that thorn. God's grace. Uh, some examples came to my mind personally of, of some people that, that I know and stories that I've heard of from someone else about a Christian who has had this happen to him and that happened to him and they walked away from the things of God. Preacher chasing a man out on his pasture, begging him to come back to the house of God and, and keep serving as a deacon. But something happened and he walked away. And he never came back. And, and so I think when I read this, oh, what special grace was missed out on. I tell you what, the truth is, some of the sweetest times in our walk with Jesus are going to be the times that we can't handle what we're going through, but His grace takes us through it. And it's inexhaustible. And it's always there. And we, we just have that special time of dependence on the Lord. What, what else are we going to do? Where else are we going to go? I hate to think about those, those that have missed out on, on great grace of God in their lives. You know, when I hear of a church member suffering or anyone else I love, I know that God invites our request before Him, and I, I, I give a request that if it's all right with you, Lord, that you take it away. But if He doesn't take it away, that doesn't mean there's not hope, because there is grace that is sufficient for you and I. Some may want to go to God and just want Him to fix this or that. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? Will you allow his grace to be sufficient for you? Will it be, will it be about him instead of our circumstance? Trusting God's will. We can all contend through suffering. Oh, the casualties of Christianity because they fell off to the side. We can contend through suffering. If Paul did it, we can do it too. Sean Druitt sang a song, 
And there was a phrase in one of his songs. I don't know if I heard the rest of the song after I heard the line. He doesn't promise it's easy, but salvation is worth some scars. Toward the end of Paul's life, he's contemplating his steps in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 18. This is at the end of Paul's life, and, and I'm going to read a verse or two of this, and you're going to become familiar with the situation. But in spite of the crisis that we've talked about, he experienced in his life, in spite of the criticism, in spite of the conflict, and having to contend with suffering, Paul sums up his life here as being lived well. It's... Life has been well for him, he says, in a life of service to the Lord, and he was ready, ready to be offered, living, living for the Lord through all the suffering, through everything he went through, it was an opportunity. And then dying for the Lord, it was an offering poured out to the Lord. And so he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Departure. Paul says in Philippians 1.23, he has a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And that's the same exact word that he's using over here in Timothy as he's contemplating his steps, as he's reflecting over all of his life. In verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What we read from Paul is that he was eager to go before the judgment seat of Christ. When people hear judgment, they immediately think of something negative. But judgment for the child of God living their lives in the will of God, trusting Jesus, being led of the Spirit. Hey, judgment has some positive in it. We're all going to suffer some loss when we go to, to have our rewards and, and our works go in the fire and the, the jewels are refined and the wood, hay, and stubble burn up. We're all going to, to have some loss. We're not perfect there. But judgment is not all negative. And, and as Paul is reflecting over his life now, and everything he's suffered through, and everything he's endured, without throwing in the towel, without stopping, without calling it quits, he says, he says, I have fought a good fight. He had to engage in conflict. Every Christian will in some way. If a Christian goes through this life, without ever offending anyone. We haven't lived our Christian life to the fullest. We haven't been the faithful witness we're called to be. We're not trying to offend anyone, but, but our testimony and the truth that we share is going to offend some. So he engaged in conflict. And then we see, he, say, he not only says, I have fought a good fight, he says, I have finished my course. He was in a race. And then he says, I have kept 
the faith. Paul stood firm in his, in his faith, never wavering throughout all the warfare and everything trying to draw him to the side and, and the devil trying to tempt him to use the gospel for his own means, for his own purpose in some way. He never did it. And he, he stood firm in his faith and he never wavered with everything he faced during his life. In verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Preacher wrote a book and he titled the simple book he wrote, I Am Blessed. And he wrote of some difficult things he went through in his life. But he said, I, I don't want my heart hardened. I, I'm blessed. When, when you saw him in person and you asked him how he's doing, he'd say, I'm blessed. Every time. And he didn't want to go out thinking on the past things. Paul did not contemplate with resentment the things of the past as he was contemplating his steps toward the end of his life, but about rewards in the future. He also said in another place, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not going to do any of us any good. It's going to hurt us if we dwell on past things. I've, I've talked to people before, and, and it's almost like you can see the muscles in their forehead moving when they're thinking about what they didn't get in, in, the, in the will from, from when the family and everything got, got you know dispersed out. 30 years ago, they didn't get this and they didn't get that. And you can just feel the tension rise from 30 years ago when they talked about it. Paul didn't contemplate the things that would lead him to resentment in the past, but the rewards in the future. We, we shouldn't be thinking about wrong. We should be living right, living righteously. Verse 10, he does mention... He does mention some things that he went through. He says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. And he goes on to talk about two more. They're not in the same boat with Demas here. They didn't forsake Paul. They, they were commended by Paul. They were, they were approved by Paul to go on to the other ministries that they went on to. But Demas is the one who forsook Paul. And so, what else did this man of God and the will of God experience? He experienced some loneliness. He had to suffer through some loneliness for sure. Listen to verse 16 and what he says. At my first answer, no man stood with me 
but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. He definitely had his share of loneliness that he had to endure. But let, let's go down the home stretch here. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. He had the conscious presence of the Lord. Can, can we think about that? Can we think about that when hardness in life comes? When the persecution comes our way? When we go through the suffering in life, the Lord is always with us. He not only had the conscious presence of the Lord, but look at verse 17 as we go. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He had the conquering presence of the Lord with him. How, how about that? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't have to stop. We don't have to set aside. He also says in verse 17 that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. He not only had the conscious presence of the Lord and the conquering presence of the Lord, he had the confirming presence of the Lord. How wonderful is it to be confirmed by the Lord? For Him to give us something to do. There is, so we're going long and I don't care. There is something for every child of God to be able to do. Every member counts and there is a place of service for every single one. And that is God's confirming love in our lives. How, how did John feel? When Jesus took out time from dying on the cross and He said, take care of my mother. Wow, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus loved him. He confirmed His love to him. And so Paul is contemplating his steps and he's considering this great love of the Lord, this great presence of the Lord, the confirming presence of the Lord, but we're not finished yet. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lying, the controlling presence of the Lord and His power in Paul's life. That's what he's reflecting on. One more, one more, verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had the continuing presence of the Lord. Does that not really outweigh every conflict, every criticism, every, every area of suffering, every contending with suffering that we could ever go through? The cause 
is greater than the conflict. I reckon we have a pretty good example here. Not to call it quits on the most important thing in life. Our walk with God, a member of His church, His true churches are going to be here until He comes back to the clouds to get His people. And it's worth it all when we look to Him and consider Him. It's, it's worth all the scars. The scars hurt. The scars seem bad sometimes. God is always doing something good. No matter how things are looking to us. What God strengthened Paul to endure, He will do to every child of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you tonight. We want to thank you, Lord, for considering, even as we consider the hard things and the things we have to endure, Lord, your word gives us encouragement that we can continue on through it all, that you are making us worth something. You're refining us in the fire. You're with us. We have the power of your presence with us. And Lord, what you did in Paul's life, you can do in our life. We thank you tonight, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for making us your children, for giving us something to do for you. And any work that you begin in us, you will finish that work. It will come to completion. It will depend on you. Trust in you. We love you tonight, Lord. We thank you so much for your love to us. When we consider the things that fall on us from a fallen world, we do not measure your love for us that way. We know that we are your children. We know that we are loved and we are here for a purpose, Lord, and we can continue to the end. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If everyone could please stand. Page 433. Your time to do business with God.